from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prime, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Wednesday edition. Uh, we are going back to our original planning or programming, I guess that you should say. Uh, we're going to pick this week's games across the Pac-12 conference, uh, get you guys up to speed on just what's going on in and around the conference. And let's dive right into it. Um, it was an interesting week uh, last week. I think I went 5-1 and one straight up, 5-1 and one against the spread. Eric and Jared both went three and three for both. And it's the standings are all jumbled again. Um, they're all right next to each other. I think we're all right around just above 500 uh, straight up. So if you, if you want to take these uh, and for entertainment purposes only uh, at the money lines, you, you, you might have some fun with that. Um, we're all on pretty on a pretty good run this season for, for the money line bets, but Let's, let's go to Friday. Utah has clinched the Pac-12 South Division title with one game to play. Um, they play Colorado at, at 1 p.m. on Fox. Utah is a 23-and-a-half point favorite in this one. And I just – even if it's a letdown game for, for Utah because they were so jacked up for Oregon last week, I can't see Colorado winning. I don't think Brendan Rice is available. He's by far their best player on the offensive side of the football. Um, I know Colorado upset Washington last week at home, but it was a struggle to do that. It was because of their defense and not because of their offense. So um, I, I I think Utah may come out slow early on, um, but they're going to win this one 38-14, to 14, and, it, and it be a game in which – they don't have to really work very hard uh, to get ready for this victory and then be healthy for, for the Pac-12 championship game. I'm focused on the home versus away splits for both teams. You look at what Colorado has done. They've played better of late. They've won two of three. Both those wins came at home on the road in Pac-12 this season. 22-point loss to Arizona State, 23-point loss to Cal, 23-point loss to Oregon, 24-point loss to UCLA, right? So they, they, they have been beaten handily in all their road games. Utah, let's just be honest about it, playing the best football of any of the teams I just read off, I find it very hard to believe that Colorado can really be competitive here. Also, Utah has not lost at Rice-Eccles Stadium with fans in the crowd since September 15, 2018. Wow. So – uh, all of that to say, and just basically me giving some data here because I think we all know what the pick is. Utes 51-19 against the Buffs. I think Utah flexes its muscles again as they head into back 12 conference championship game. Maybe against Oregon, maybe against Oregon State, maybe against Washington State. It's all it's all jumbled up up north, um, but the Utes will be there in Vegas. We know that part. 51-19. That's a lot of points. That's a, that's a drubbing. That's like stop your program drubbing. Uh, yeah, I, I, this Eric, I appreciate all the thought you put into this pick. I don't think it needs that much. I think Utah is <laughs> just such a better team right now. I think they're firing on all cylinders. Uh, Colorado, I've said like last couple of weeks, has been frisky. They've kind of been making a run for it. But um, yeah, I looked at the same, the home and away splits from being up mile high. 
and Colorado is significantly different on the road. Utah, like Eric, like you said, they haven't lost in Utah in a long time with fans. Um, I don't see how this game goes any other way except for a massive Utah win. But I don't have them covering. That's the only oh. thing. Yep, I have them winning 42-21. Don't have the cover going. Spreads 23 and a half. That's, that's surprising, Jared, but I like it. I like it. Uh, the other game on Friday in the Pac-12. I like Friday games. Do you guys like Friday games? Hate them. During Thanksgiving week, I love football. Oh, Thanksgiving week. week. Yes, yes. So of course. Yeah. Yes. Every day. Yeah, I, I love Friday Thanksgiving games. And this is the second one in the conference, the Apple Cup. Um, weird dynamic here. Jimmy Lake and Nick Rolovich coached and did not play or did not coach in the Apple Cup against one another, and yet they got fired, and they were here two seasons. Um, really strange stat there. So interim head coaches, uh, games at 5 o'clock. It's on FS1. The Cougars are a one-point road favorite. Games played at Husky Stadium. Washington State's bowl eligible. Washington is no longer in the hunt for a bowl game. And I'm going to go with the Cougars. I'm going to, they have struggled against Washington for a long time. And I think this is the year that not only do they, they win, um, but they put a lot of pressure on Oregon to win. Uh, because if Oregon loses, it's the Cougars that are going to go to the conference championship game. And I, I think that's going to get Dickert, their interim head coach, the job. Uh, the Apple Cup. If if he wins, they're going to have a solid seven and five year. You, I mean, to, to think Washington State could get to eight and five with a bull win is crazy. Um, so I think this is going to be a, a this is going to be a pretty intense. Neither team likes each other, obviously. Give me Washington State twenty seven, Washington twenty four, and Dickert gets a, a full contract. Um, to be the the permanent head coach shortly after the win. Cougars are five and three. Their last eight, their losses are by eleven to Utah, by two to BYU, and fourteen to Oregon. Those teams are all ranked, so that's pretty impressive what they've done in their last eight. Um, Washington's won seven in a row in the rivalry and ten of of eleven, dating back to two thousand nine. So this is not this is not exactly been a competitive rivalry series. I also look at this and go. Pac-12's number two best pass offense against Pac-12's number one pass defense. Like some of what Washington State likes to do, Washington in theory could take away. Um, I'm going Cougars, though. I think they have just played much better of late. I ran through what they've done their last eight games. I think I'm with Matt. I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Coach Dickert finds himself fully employed in the long term by the Cougars if they win this game just because – it's been such a struggle to win these Apple Cup games for the Cougs. I think they do it. I think it's close. I'll go Washington State 21, Washington 17. I think fairly low scoring. I think it's going to be really, really competitive and one of the more fun rivalry games we have in the Pac-12 this weekend. I like the the low scoring. I thought about that like really hard, but I just a hunch that points will be scored just a little bit. Washington actually like – played pretty well offensively against Arizona State, which was a surprise. Um, yeah, the, the first thing I noticed about this game was the line. Washington's a one-point favorite, which I thought was interesting. 
Um, I expected them to be more. And then I went on ESPN's FBI projections and uh, UW has a projected win percentage of 64% or 63.7 to be specific. That was stunning because what, like, I, I don't know what the computer has been looking at um, with their algorithms, but I don't know what they've seen from Washington that's made them feel good. Um, just from the literal eye test, a human eye test, to be clear. Um, I've liked what I've seen from Washington State the last couple of weeks. Um, I know I've, I like Oregon played them really well and made a lot of second half adjustments and took away their passing game. But in the first half, they were a good team. They can move the ball down the field with anybody in the Pac-12. Uh, I, I think that's where the projection is getting from, where Washington's pass defense is so good. And right. Washington State relies a lot on their uh, run-and-shoot offense. Um, but they can get Max Borgie going, and I think that'll be important. Washington can't stop the run. Uh, if, if Washington State can establish the line of scrimmage with the run, then they might free up some passing spaces. But I still have Washington State winning. Uh, I got them 34 to 27 in the Apple Cup, which is one of my favorite things to watch, honestly. It's always a good game. Here's a off-topic spin from the Cougars. Max Borgie, their running back, um, he has said that he's ending his career at Washington State, but he didn't say he's going pro. And he didn't say he's transferring. Jim Mastro recruited Matt, Max Borgi to Washington State. They took a photo together. Um, they met at midfield together after the game when Washington State came to Eugene. Travis Dye is really good this season for Oregon. Let's just assume C.J. Verdell and Dye both go off to the NFL. Does Oregon try and pursue Max Borgi to, to come in? Do they want that? Do they need that? Oof, an interesting one, Matt. Um, I think Max Borgi is a really good player, and I think he could fit pretty well into what Oregon does. Obviously, you mentioned the familiarity with he and Mastro. Also, like just like kind of excited to see these young running backs kind of develop. Yeah. And maybe it wouldn't hurt to have a veteran like a Max Borgi there. But part of me also says, like, is he even going to be the most talented running back on the roster? True. Like, I mean, is is the idea of bringing in a senior running back to help kind of offset the transition from Di Verdell to this young group actually the best thing? Or would it not be more beneficial to rely on a Byron Cardwell who's really stepped up of late? I mean, obviously, Borgi's, you know, career track speaks for itself. Um, I kind of like the young guys at Oregon. Like, yeah. I see those guys play maybe that's me being a little bit maybe that's antithetical but um i'd probably lean no on that one which may be surprises some as much as i like max max Borgi, because i do think he's been a really complete football player and and a really tough player to bring down but like if if you bring him in i'm almost kind of like can you bring him in letting him know he's probably going to be like option one b or option two as opposed right. to primary running back because i kind of look at it like what you see with quarterbacks at oregon in the past where they take a grad transfer and maybe it delays the ability to get some of the younger guys going. And at running back, like, you only have so many opportunities to play these guys. I know Die and Verdell have played forever here, it feels like, but that's kind of the exception and not the rule with college running backs. Usually these guys try to get out as soon as possible, and I just would hate to, to waste snaps and opportunities for one of those guys. But that might just be me. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Max Borges is really good. He's had a really great career at Washington State. But I think – Oregon has their next couple of running backs already on the roster. 
Um, I'm really excited to see a full season now of Byron Cardwell as like a, a primary back or the number two option for a full year. We still haven't seen Trey Benson and all we heard during a fall camp in August and early September was just how good he is. Yep. And so we're all waiting for that. Um, Seven McGee, we've seen moments of, and you know, he's really electric in the open field and he's got a very specific role that would, if Max Borgie were to, were to transfer or whatever to Oregon, he would take some snaps away from seven because they do play, or they have like similar skill sets in where Borgia will be using a lot of screens and stuff like that, um, or just coming out of the backfield on the passing play. But, and then you also have Sean Dollars. Sean Dollars has been hurt all year long. It's a good um, point. He's my favorite of the group, I have to admit, um, even though Byron Cardwell is slowly creeping up there. But I'm very excited to see what Sean Dollars can do when fully healthy. And if Borgia comes in, then that's five running backs who could actually get real reps. So that's too many. All right, let's transition over to Saturday's games. The first one is the Territorial Cup. Um, this one is sneaky full of hate. Um, like, like fights literally break out almost every year when these two teams play. And I, I, I think it's kind of a little under – one of those underrated ones um, nationally of just how much disdain they have for one another. Arizona, 1-10 – Travels up north to Arizona State, who is seven and four. Um, a lot of could this be it type moments. Um, Arizona's defensive coordinator has been hired to become the new head coach back east. I think at UMass, is that correct? UMass, go Minutemen, baby. I got it in for you, Jared. And uh, this also could be Herm Edwards' last game as head coach. Um, They've got that NCAA investigation. They've obviously squandered a really good season, um, but a ton of expectations for them, and they did not fulfill that. But this game is at home, and I think Arizona State is by far the better team. And the fact that this game is at home is where my confidence is going to come. Um, ASU is a 20-point favorite in this game. I do not think they cover – but it's going to be close. I'm going to pick Arizona State 30, Arizona 14. And I think Arizona maybe tacks on a late touchdown that prevents the cover of this one um, late. But it might be the last game for Herm Edwards. It might be the last game for quarterback Jaden Daniels. Um, th this is going to be an interesting time in Tempe the next week and a half or so. It's that kind of funny, Matt, that – talking about it's going to be the last game for one of the coaches and it's not the team that we are both we're all going to predict to lose that'll end up being one in 11 in regular season play and it's the coach on the other sideline that we're like maybe he's done yeah obviously those listening i, I imagine mostly are, are are aware of the reasons behind that matt laid it out on the show a little bit but i don't disagree it's going to be a weird time in tempe and i think again this season could have gone a lot of different ways and that i just go back to that that second half against the Utes where they have a 21 point lead. Yep. And if they win that game, the Sun Devils were in the driver's seat for the South and they blew it. And there was, and that was really when those programs kind of like ships in the night past each other. Utah goes on to just dominate the rest of its games. And well, I guess they lost, I think to Oregon state in there, but they go on to win a bunch of games and Arizona state's kind of falling apart. So um, I was surprised by this, Matt, you mentioned it being a competitive rivalry that Arizona's actually Leads the rivalry, 49 to yeah. 44 and one. 
I, you know, I just think back to recent history. It seems like the Sun Devils have been the more, you know, the, the more superior program. They have won four in a row in this series. Um, don't think it's likely Arizona plays much defense in this game based upon yes. what it's done its last three games, not against a decimated Cal team. They gave up 41, 38, and 44 to USC, Utah, and Washington State. Those are obviously all pretty good offenses. I don't think Arizona State's much off the pace from that group, though. So I will go Arizona State to win and slightly cover. By one point, I have the, the Sun Devils winning 34-13 in a game oh. that will, I think, ultimately be kind of just a meh game where I think Arizona State's just going to probably be ahead for most of it. Arizona will kind of keep it within about this margin, and it'll end kind of without a whole lot of fanfare or excitement. I feel the same way. I've been so perplexed with Arizona State all year long. Um, they have they have some dudes, especially on offense, yeah. but you could argue that their defense has been more impressive this season. Uh, Jaden Daniels from 2019 to now has seemingly plateaued. He's pulled a Keaton Slovis. Um, I'm also glad we all have thought about, is this Herm Edwards' last conference game? Because I, I don't see how it's not, man. There's... He hasn't been unbelievably successful at Arizona State. He's had some good seasons for sure. But all the off-field issues, that doesn't help. Um, I think it's just a matter of time until he gets canned. Yeah. And maybe he coaches in the bowl game. Um, I, if they lose to Arizona, which I don't think will happen, I think he's, you know, like fired on the field. But, yeah, I, I still think Arizona wins. Um, excuse me, Arizona State wins. Sorry. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, Arizona's just really putrid, and uh, I think ASU just takes advantage of that. So I have Arizona State winning 35-13. to 13. The next game is one of two games that are played out of the conference. Notre Dame, number eight ranked Notre Dame, they travel to Stanford, and this is a 5 p.m. game on Fox – Stanford is a 19-point underdog at home. That's just bad. I, I, I don't think David Shaw is going to get fired this season, but I'm just really surprised at just the trajectory that this program has taken the last two or three years. They, they are not good. This season, they don't have a run game. Their best receiver has gotten hurt, which is – and then their quarterback has gotten hurt, which has severely hampered their, their passing attack. Their defense is not good. Um, and I think Notre Dame is going to come to Stanford, and they're going to wipe the floor with them. It's not going to be pretty. I, I just I don't see a scenario playing out in any capacity where Stanford keeps it close in this one. Um, give me Notre Dame 42, Stanford 17 and and those Irish are trying to put themselves in the college football playoff. So we might see some style points in this one. With you, I think it's far more likely that Notre Dame wins by similar. I have a very similar margin to you by, you know, about four scores or so, as opposed to it being a really close game. Stanford won't win this football game. And I think my fear of the the Cardinal losing out after beating Oregon it's going to be kind of a bummer way for the season yeah. to go. The last win by Stanford was in September against Oregon. And they're just going to lose every game from here. And Notre Dame, yeah. 
has allowed just nine combined points its last three games to Navy, Virginia, and Georgia Tech. So that's a defense facing some, I would say, somewhat subpar offenses. I don't think anybody is sitting at home going, man, Navy, Virginia, and Georgia Tech. Those are some really explosive, fun offenses to watch. Um, but Notre Dame is taking care of business. And they face another offense, which is not very challenging to defend or very fun to watch. So uh, I think Stanford's kind of a mess right now. I'll take Notre Dame 41-13 in a game that ends a very disappointing season for David Shaw and the card. For Stanford and Notre Dame, the first thing I wrote down was, this could get ugly. Yeah. And that's exactly how I feel about this game. Uh, yeah, Stanford is going to lose out after beating Oregon, which is just wild. Um, it's just if, if Oregon hadn't lost to Utah, it'd look even worse, but it still looks pretty bad. Um, Notre Dame's a solid team. Uh, Jack Cohn has actually been pretty good this year. Their defense is, uh, has another good year. Um, I, think, I think they're mildly just a little overrated. That might be a little biased from me. It happens. Um, but being a 19-point favorite as the road team, that's tough. That says a lot about who you're playing. So I have Notre Dame winning 45-14. to 14. I think we're all in that like, same little three-point realm. And uh, I don't – there's no way Stanford wins this game. The second-to-last game of the week outside of the Oregon game, it's another non-conference game. And by the way, why, why – how did this schedule get made in the conference? BYU is playing USC to end the regular season. BYU's played like half the conference, and I think they've beaten every single one of them. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a weird deal um, this season, and an embarrassing one for the league because the Cougars have just run through the Pac-12. They're ranked 14th in the country. The game's played at the Coliseum. BYU is a seven-point favorite in the 7.30 ESPN game. USC is still fighting for bowl eligibility. Um, Dante Williams is still trying to present a front where he should be the head coach. I don't think either of those scenarios play out in this one. USC is going to lose. Therefore, they will not be bowl eligible. That being said, I think – BYU does not cover. It's going to be it's going to be tight. It's going to be close. I have BYU winning this game only because I think USC's defense is putrid and BYU's is pretty solid and they have a running attack. And so it's probably going to be a game in which BYU is just going to try and milk that clock and just grind this game down. A, a very similar Oregon-ish type of game this season. BYU 30, USC 24. BYU has a case to be Pac-12 champions maybe after this Yeah, game. They're 4-0 right now against the Pac-12. They beat Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, and Washington State. As you noticed from reading through that, that's Arizona State and Arizona are not in the conference race for the, you know to win. Washington State and Utah, I'm curious, could be the matchup yep. for the Pac-12 championship, and BYU's beaten both of them. Um, all four of those games were really competitive. Um, very similar scores. It's kind of interesting looking at it. Each one of those wins, BYU scored between uh, 21 and 27 points, and the opponent scored between uh, 14 and 19 points. So they kind of have a type in terms of how they've been winning these games. I'll also note BYU's played Idaho State and Georgia Southern in the last two weeks, so they've really given themselves some cakewalk, kind of borderline bye weeks coming into this one. 
Um, USC looked kind of dead in the water last week against its rivalry uh, with the Bruins, so I don't have a lot of confidence there. I'm actually going, this is going to be the most decisive BYU win against a Pac-12 team thus far. I go BYU 37, USC 20. I just am not impressed with what the Trojans have put on the field. And honestly, at this point, um, I kind of want them to be a laughing stock for the Pac-12 because what else do I have to root for um, besides just complete chaos and pain for everybody? Are they not a laughing stock? If they lose 37 to 20, it'll be even maybe a little bit louder. I mean, the Coliseum certainly won't be loud. That's for sure. Yeah, no one's uh, either. I kind of was surprised BYU wasn't higher than minus seven. I know they're on the road, but USC hasn't been good all year long. Uh, there is no home field advantage for the Trojans this year. I was kind of, I don't know. I feel like that's a little low, but um, regardless, I still really like BYU. Um, they played every Pac-12 game close, like Eric said. They're a very talented football team. They're physical. They're aggressive. They are all the things that USC does not want to see on a football field. Um, I also don't think that this one's really going to be close. Um, I have BYU winning 38-24. to 24. Um, I, I just USC is just on a tailwind right now, and I, they're, they're going down. Last game in the Pac-12 will be Saturday night on FS1 at 7.30. UCLA at home against visiting California. The Bruins are a seven-point seven favorite, and Cal is fighting for bowl eligibility. They have to play UCLA this week, and then they have a makeup game against USC next Saturday. Um the tides have also kind of turned very quickly for UCLA. About two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it felt like the LA Times was was doing some hit pieces on Chip Kelly, and some of it was justified of how much money he's making, what the availability of the defensive coordinator, how he's not spoken in his entire four years there, and yet he's paid a handsome amount of money, um, and a team that was not – performing at a high level and they've kind of turned things around. They're now seven and four. They're going to a bowl game. They've, they're coming off an absolute thrashing of USC in the Coliseum. And I, I really think that it's kind of crazy if UCLA decides to try and move off of Chip Kelly. I think they're going to win this game. They're going to be eight and four. I think they'll, it's too early to say that who they're going to win their bowl game, but I think they've got it you know, the, the bowl game that they're going to be in, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished the year nine and four. Talking about a UCLA team that's a preseason top 25 program because they bring back majority of its roster next season. Things are, are, are starting to go up for Chip Kelly and the UCLA Bruins. And I don't know who's available, who's not available for Cal because of their COVID protocols and the city of Berkeley and whatnot. Justin Wilcox is extremely frustrated with how that's gone out. And I think it's unfortunate because that's kind of taken some some wins from the schedule um, and prevented Cal from being bull eligible, which is unfortunate considering the team's 99% vaccinated. Um, it's going to be another one of those games where I'm sure Wilcox is just going to be really frustrated just in general of how this season has played out because I've got UCLA winning 35-27 to 27 in a Pretty impressive fashion for the Bruins. You guys realize how 
close this got to being absolute chaos for the Pac-12. If Cal, well, here's the thing: is if Cal had beaten Arizona, they would be they would still have life to win the Pac-12 division, but they wouldn't be able to complete their schedule until the day after the Pac-12 championship. <laughs> you guys looking at this, going like, if they wouldn't have lost to Arizona, they'd also have three losses, which means if Oregon lost to Oregon State, all of this could be totally could have been totally wacky, and you'd be like. What do you do with Cal, who would have been like five and three going into its last game against USC? And if they win that game, they're six and three, which would have them in the tiebreaker. And I don't know exactly how all that plays out, but it would have been pretty interesting because Oregon State also lost to Cal. So, I mean, like, I think there's a scenario here where this would have been a total disaster, fortunately for the conference, I guess. That would have been so Pac 12. I mean, just the most. And so, like, I'm sitting here kind of going, like, boy, it's really good thing for the Pac-12 that, I guess, this took place like this. But, boy, that would have been a disaster to try to parse through how that would have worked out. I feel bad for Cal. I mean, I, I was looking through their schedule. You take out that weird thing with Arizona. They're playing just as well as anyone right now in the yeah. Pac-12 North. I mean, they've, they've been pretty darn impressive. They played Oregon a close game. They beat Colorado, Oregon State, and Stanford all by two or more scores and were pretty impressive especially I think last week again, and Stanford is Stanford. And I guess we can just kind of understand that they're maybe as bad as anyone in this conference right now, like Stanford and Arizona on a neutral site. Who are you picking? I might take, I might take Arizona. I mean, just based upon how crappy Stanford has played. I mean, seriously, look at what's look at Stanford's last four outings. I mean, it's just been an absolute abomination. And Arizona actually played Utah kind of close and has been a little bit more frisky, I think um, based upon the last four. Um, I say all that to say I think this is going to be a really competitive game. Cal still has bow eligibility hopes here. If they win this game, they beat USC, they'll win six games. Um, I think even Garbers has a lot of pride. I think Cal – sorry, Chase Garbers has a lot of pride. I think Cal really wants to make a statement here, and I think they want to make up for what's taken place. I just don't know if they're quite good enough, and I think UCLA is, is just an edge better. So I go UCLA 41-38. I wrote in my notes, I think this might be maybe – the best or one of the better games in the Pac-12 in the last two to three weeks of the season here. Because I think these two teams are have kind of a lot on the line sneakily and are both mm-hmm. playing kind of sneakily pretty good football right now. Because I think UCLA, if they don't have the injury with DTR, we're having a little bit different conversation yeah. too. They'd probably play Utah closer. I don't think they beat Utah, but there's probably a little different sense of how this played out. So um, I go really close to UCLA win. I think this game's been pretty fun. I'm excited to hopefully get back and, and watch most of it. I think this game will be fun too. Um, I have UCLA winning. I have them winning by a good bit, actually. I'm winning 39 25. Um, I've just been really impressed with UCLA over, UCLA over the last few weeks, uh, other than the DTR injury where he's going to play against Utah. Uh, I just kind of feel like their offense, obviously against USC, um, you know, like that's stuff that can carry. When an offense he gets in that type of momentum and that type of rhythm against your rival, I think that that carries usually into the next week or couple of weeks. Um, so I'm predicting like two straight good weeks for for UCLA here on offense. Um, Eric, like you said, Cal has been playing well. The COVID protocol stuff has really hurt them. Um, I think at this point they should be at back to full strength, if not just for a couple players. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it's been you know two weeks time since the Arizona game, um, but I you know I kind of wish that Cal had the chance to or didn't lose to Arizona so we could see that hypothetical scenario play out. Right. I really do, um, but yeah, I've 
to reiterate, I have uh, UCLA winning the, the Bear Bowl because they're both Bears, uh, 39 to 25. I like a score, Gami. How do you get 39-25? Yeah, it's funky. Just, you know, my brain. <laughs> Just a lot of field goals, basically. Yeah, Maybe a safety here goals, or there. Conversions. Yeah. All sorts of I, I heard it and I was like, wait, 39 25. I don't think I've seen that score. He's, he's probably, I probably misheard it. But I, no, I, I want to see 20. that happen. We're sticking to it. Maybe they'll, it'll be so bad of a game or so good of a game, they'll invent a new way to score. It'll it's going to be gonna, like maybe, Harry Potter. Maybe it's a lot of missed extra points, Jared. Maybe yeah, it's, it's very possible. Oh, a lot of blocked, yeah, blocked yeah, extra points. Blocked PATs. That's what we're looking at there. I love it. Blocked PATs I, returned. Hmm. By the way, this is our final regular season matchup for the standings here. And as Matt established earlier, he holds a little bit of a lead now. Um, So he can wrap up the regular season crown. We'll obviously do a postseason bowl crown for – I don't know how we want to do it, guys. This year, probably all the Pac-12 teams, maybe maybe we do the college football playoff stuff as well just to add a couple of games to it for a postseason. But it's been a good – We could just do every bowl. Yeah, that that sounds like a – that sounds what I want to do. Yeah, it sounds great. Jared. Let's just focus on our straight up records because our against the spreads have kind of fallen off the uh, cliff here a little. Yeah, bit. well, against the spread have never been good. Um, straight up, <laughs> like, really, no. pretty solid. Um, but I, I will say I, I had good momentum early. Matt has had the good momentum the last two weeks. I think he's gone ten and one in the last eleven. Ooh, I should I should have been betting. Yeah, well, mm. against the spread and against the spread, I think you're pretty good too. You might actually be like eight and four or something like that. Something like Damn. that. So yeah, you should have been. You're in Vegas right now. Go go go! Act on these calls, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could I could act on these on these picks right now. Um, it's going to be an interesting final week to the regular season. And real quick, obviously we're going to pick the Beaver game on Friday, um, but it feels like I don't want to go too long into this, but it does feel like we're about to see a major change in the conference. We've already seen coaching changes at Washington State, Washington, and USC. Um, We do know that ASU is really sitting on an interesting situation with their head coach. Kyle Whittingham is 62 and has been there a really long time. Um, If they get to the Rose Bowl, is this his last year? Does he retire? What about Justin Wilcox at Cal? Like We know Washington is looking at him. He's not happy with how that has gone. Um, Mario Cristobal's name has popped up certainly a, a lot the last couple of weeks because of the Florida job opening, Miami firing their uh, their athletic director, um, which is people are connecting the dots. Well, Manny Diaz is probably going to be close behind. And then any other job that's just a big job, Cristobal's name has been leaked. And while I don't think – we expect him to leave. It's certainly a discussion. It just feels like this league could be going through a real big change at the top of who runs all these teams. Well, and the thing is, guys, is it's already like almost like the Pac-12 was already kind of at a coaching. Just like they're just not quite as good as the rest of the conferences. It feels like maybe that's not totally fair, but you think about what happens with a lot of these these jobs where if you're at a Washington state, your coach gets hired by a middling SEC school. Um, you know, if your coach is at Colorado, he gets hired by a, what at the time was a middling big 10 school. That's now taking it step up, you know, a step with, with Mel Tucker. Um, this conference doesn't feel like it's like a real breeding ground for 
elite coaches right now in terms of keeping them here. So these decisions, who they hire, I think are going to be significant, not just for the parity in the conference, but if you want to look at it from an Oregon-centric focus too, of it's not going to matter now because Oregon dropped the ball and lost to Utah. But if Oregon would have run the table here, they would have still made it and all that. But I think we would have been talking all offseason about the conference did them zero favors because yeah. nobody else was any good and no one else was overly competitive. And you think if you're looking at it from that lens right now, before there's a bunch of coaching turnover, who's to suggest it's going to get better in 22? It might, the conference might actually get worse based upon yeah. all the coaches changing. I mean, I could see a lot of these being improvements because I'm not super high on a lot of the guys who were in positions before, but like it's, the health of this conference is really in a bad spot here. And you're right. Like if a Kyle Whittingham decides to leave and let's say, and I don't, and I, none of us believe this will happen or expect it to happen right now, but let's say Mario Cristobal does leave. And again, I'm, I'm not reporting that. I don't hope that doesn't take place. I'm a fan of what Mario is building here. Imagine if that were to take place because it's possible. And now you're looking at a conference that really lacks any of its coaching star power going into 2022. And how much of a hit does that take for this conference? This is, yeah, it's a huge offseason for the Pac-12. Um, it's Honestly, it's make or break. You know, this has been a couple of years now of just having sub-average coaches at important schools in the Pac-12. Um, obviously, you know, Jimmy Lake's firing at Washington is huge. That's Washington, when they're good, they, that helps the conference almost as much, much as any other team. Um, UCLA, I still don't know if they're going to retain Chip Kelly or not. I know that he's been doing well the last couple of weeks, but it's also the, you have to look at the course of the full season because he finished last year on a high note, and they said, oh, we might as well keep him around. And then finished the start of the year on a high note, the middle of the year just fell apart. You know, it has to be the whole picture. You can't just look at what you want to see and then hope that it continues to the rest. Um, USC, obviously coaching turmoil for years now. Uh, Wilcox at Cal is a great coach, but he's stuck at Cal where he can't actually do anything he wants. Uh, Rolovich, obviously gone earlier this year for the vaccine mandate. Um, if I'm a school like Washington State, I'm taking a shot and hiring somebody who out of the blue and somebody who is an up and comer who just needs to, a chance. Um, but if you're Washington, if you're USC, if you're UCLA, if you're Arizona State, this is a huge off season. And I'm assuming that Herm and Chip might be gone out of those out of ASU and UCLA. This is a big off season. You guys need to hit your hires so that you can actually compete because really like Eric was touching on the only team that matters in the PAC 12 right now, or at least in the national perspective was Oregon up until last weekend. And that's not to say all the other teams in the PAC 12 don't matter. They do. Don't worry. Everybody matters, but Oregon is the national you know, winner in this situation. You know, they were in the football playoffs up until this last weekend. Uh, if they had won out, they would have gotten in. They would have been on the national spotlight. Um, and then nobody else really comes close. Yeah. Pac-12 has only really had one other ranked team in the AP in the college football playoff polls for like three weeks now, and it's been Utah. They haven't even been getting votes for other teams. Um, yeah. That's the struggle. So these need to be good hires. The, the biggest problem, here's the biggest problem with all of this. What Pac-12 school, if you're a, a new, or if you're a coach that is highly touted, what Pac-12 school are you really going to go look for when you have jobs like LSU and Florida on the map? 
and who knows what else comes available. But is there a Pac-12 school that you'd rather take over those two jobs? No, not right now. I mean, US, USC at certain times would certainly stack up favorably, of course. but not right of now. Um, Washington. But if you're USC, you're competing against LSU and Florida for those jobs for your top candidates. So that's it. Well, it's, I mean, look at it this way. The money disparity between the Pac-12 and the SEC and the Big Ten and to an extent the, the Big 12 is astronomical. Michigan State is preparing to give Mel Tucker, who is 16 and 14 in three years as a head football coach, $95 million over 10 years for a 16 and 14 guy. He has had one winning season in his in his four year coaching career, and that's this season when Michigan State's nine and two. And I mean, he he quickly bounced from Colorado from a five and seven record, and Michigan State gave him a, a boatload of money then. And that's what I think Jared is is trying to t- to talk about is and point out is that the league is in a, a hole right now, financially and as you guys have pointed out, like from a PR standpoint too. So, and another thing. That's not not necessarily what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that the Pac-12 can't compete on the field and I guess off the field now. And there's, if I'm, I don't know, like James Franklin said that he's staying at Penn State today. Sure, whatever. If I'm James Franklin and I get an offer from USC and it's the same numerical value as all the other schools that I'm getting. Yeah, offer stay from, in the, stay where you're at. I'm not, I'm not going to the Pac-12. That's what I'm trying no. to say. Yeah, absolutely. And the problem is too, I saw a story like from, I think it was Pete Thamel of Yahoo that like the coaching depth of head coaches this year is not very good so these conference these schools that are having to make hires are like usc is probably not the number one job in the country and the talent that they're going to pull from to replace clay helton is not what it was seven or eight years ago where it felt like every year there was three or four really good up-and-coming coaches that you just were very confident in and and this year, it's 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 not the case. I mean, they may, you know, I saw John Wilner report that he's been hearing some talk of, of Dan Quinn from you know the former Falcons head coach. Like that feels like retread, and they fired Helton for that, which is just, I mean, Helton had to go, but that's what you're going to get if if it goes that direction. Strange. Yeah, strange. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, next up on the week, we will have Angie Machado of Beaver Blitz. She will come on and she will break down everything Oregon, Oregon State from a Beaver perspective. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.